Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY. This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Save for Later from Guardian Australia, a podcast about online culture and the tabs our brains can't close. I'm Alex Gorman. And I'm Michael Sun. Today on the show, we're going to be crowdsourcing the bizarre, the banal and everything in between using the most reliable source on the internet, Wikipedia. I still think it's one of the best online democracies that I see. But first, Alex, you have promised me this week that you have brought in something absolutely insane. Lay it on me. Michael, I've brought you nothing. I have nothing. I didn't see anything. <laughs> Last week, I didn't look at my phone. I limited my screen time to under 30 minutes a day. What do you mean? I feel like I saw you post this on your story that your screen time was like on average 20 or 30 minutes. And I was like, this is this is chopped. This is doctored. She's a spin doctor. Like, this is this is a lie. No, I managed to average 22 minutes a day of screen time through pure discipline and significant outsourcing of emotional labour. I spent an entire week not looking at my phone. Did you do the Lord thing where she, like, turns her phone to black and white so she's less inclined to even want to look at it at all? I haven't turned my phone to black and white, but I have turned the background to black. That's the next so step. So I've kind of, I've, like, dipped my toe in the waters <laughs> of trying not to look at it by making it less fun and less engaging to stare at. Look, I feel like screen time is something I am extremely familiar with, extremely well-versed with, because every week my phone decides to attack me by giving me a notification that says, your screen time has increased by 23% this week, and it continues to go up by 23% every week. So I would say it's an exponential rate of increase. Okay, Michael. Do you want to know? I want to (laughs) know. If your screen time is increasing exponentially, given that there are only 24 hours a day, what is the damage? From memory, it was like a genuinely horrifying number for the previous week. Okay, I'm tapping to screen time. Last week's screen time on average was... <laughs> my screen time was 11 hours, 45 minutes a day. Michael! Oh my God, are you okay? How do you... What? Okay, this, this might... Mu- this must be this must be phone and computer combined because I can see that on last Sunday it actually says that I clocked eighteen hours and forty five no. minutes of screen. That's time. not that's not even enough time to like sleep. 
it actually is quite damning that that he tells you exactly what websites um, you spent time on. For example, here it says that apparently I spent 45 minutes on CassieTongue.com. Um, oh, let's nice. not mention we, that. <laughs> we love to read theatre reviews. This is good. Love a theatre critic. I'm spending a lot of time on a website. VoteCompass.abc.net.au. 37 minutes. Okay. Like, that makes sense Look, as well. Look, this all sounds quite worthy. <laughs> I don't understand where I've actually spent 18 hours. I think it was literally just like... My my laptop may have been open. I stepped away. That's my excuse, Alex. Meanwhile, like my virtuous 20 minutes, which TBH was a little bit celebrity inspired, like lots of celebrities mm-hmm, talk mm-hmm. about the like calming and amazing powers of not using your phone. I had to do some dirty tricks to do this as well because I offloaded my screen time, much like a celebrity would, to my husband, (laughs) whenever we had applied together, I'd like make him look it up. I'd make him do any sort of logistical arranging. That was his job all week. So I wasn't looking at my phone. And you know what? That's what I call labor redistribution, you know, like you're making him pick up his fair share of the slack. No, I think like outsourcing my screen time is probably a level of emotional labor that he did not sign up for, nor was it fair for me to burden him with. What did you (laughs) learn from your extremely glorious, virtue signally, 20 minutes of screen time a day, did you actually find yourself having more quote-unquote genuine connection with the world? Well, I learned that I'm an incredibly insecure hypocrite, first of all. Of course, we all are. Because trying not to look at my phone in real life social situations, I first like noticed how much other people were looking at their phones, like that they would sort of be posting while we were at parties or that they'd like pick up their phone and start texting sort of mid chat. And my first instinct was to judge them for that. And then I felt like incredibly alone and abandoned by them. And so like immediately deeply insecure. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of a very fun week where I'd sort of only looked at my sort of Instagram story mentions a bit, I realized that I was very sad because I had no photos that I'd taken myself on my phone and all my friends had taken nice photos of all our social outings and I had nothing to post and had not been posting. But like that's ideal because once again, you're just outsourcing that labor to your friends. But that's also like increasing the screen time, like soliciting those pictures. And also like maybe I should have just taken those photos myself rather than trusting everyone else around me to undergo the emotional labor of taking photos and making things look nice so that I can just pose and not stare at my phone. Alex, you know that I am a highly cynical person. I'm bothered, unmoisturized, sad, out of my lane. And therefore, I can definitely relate to this idea of like casting judgment on everyone around you for doing something (laughs) (laughs) that you are also prone to be doing. Whenever I see anyone posting content on any platform, but especially Instagram, I instantly judge them. I'm like, if your account is on public, I don't want to see you using Instagram as a social tool. I want to be seeing you share your achievements only so I can surveil you. Some would say that I am the panopticon in question. Just lurking, (laughs) lurking and watching. But I feel like, speaking about the Phenopticon, I feel like there's almost an internal contradiction to the whole idea of trying to look at our phones less because the same device that's telling us to reduce our screen time is the device that's keeping us on the device. Does that make sense, Alex? (laughs) No, it does make sense. And it actually does kind of bring up a really interesting conflict of interest between like 
Apple and iOS as kind of a provider of phones and hardware and then the way that it conflicts with all of the platforms and social media that we know are monitoring us and tracking us. I think like there's kind of a brand management thing going on from Apple's perspective where they want to be like, no, no, it's not your phone that's listening to you. It's not your phone that's tracking your every move. Like your phone is taking care of you. See, we're like telling you how much screen time we have. We're going to block you off from these things. Like we're here to help your life. It's the platforms that are evil. But of course, the phone is kind of also the problem. They're shifting their responsibility onto us. It becomes a form of like personal responsibility is to stop looking at our phones. But the master's tools will famously never dismantle the master's house. Like I would love to use my phone less, but realistically in the long term, it's completely unsustainable. For starters, I have put my friends and partner through hell by being like, look this up for me all week. And if you want to have a job and be effective in 21st century society, unless you literally have an assistant that you can pay to look at a phone for you, not having screen time is just, it's a luxury good. So, Michael, I think, like, I have to ask you because I spent a week completely out of it. Did I miss any discourse? No. Nothing. I've missed nothing. (laughs) Like, honestly, no. No. Next, we go to the depths of the most communal place on the internet. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Alex, today we have a very special guest to talk about one of my favorite parts of the internet. It is depths of Wikipedia. The account shares excerpts from various Wikipedia articles on humorous or absurd topics. We have the mastermind behind Deaths of Wikipedia here right now, Annie Rowder. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Annie, thanks so much for being here. So your account has almost a million followers, many of whom are celebrities, but for the uninitiated, please tell us, what is Depths of Wikipedia? Wikipedia has 6.4 million articles in English and across all languages, 55 million. So it's huge. And it's been around for 20 years. And some of the articles are very funny, in my opinion. There's a whole article about, for example, death during consensual sex. There's an article, list of fictional worms, 
or um, there's an article about canal mania, the period of intense canal building in the 1790s. <laughs> and I post some of these funny ones on Instagram and now also TikTok and Twitter. And it's really fun. I think that at this point, there's a bunch of people following that it's kind of a community. People always leave funny comments. For example, someone commented on the canal mania post. Help, I can't stop building canals. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your personal origin story? Like, what what gave you the idea for plumbing Wikipedia for weirdness? I'm from Michigan, and I'm in college. And I started the page in the pandemic two years ago. So there's a Wikipedia list called List of Unusual Articles that compiles a lot of these types of things. And there's also a Facebook group called Cool Freaks Wikipedia Club that shared fun Wikipedia articles. But there was nothing on Instagram, and so I just started it, and a few months later, it started taking off, and here we are with, yeah, like you said, almost a million followers. Cool Freaks Wikipedia Club, I feel like that was definitely my entryway into weird Wikipedia. Like, I just remember being so active in that group and, like, being first introduced to it by someone who now works for The Guardian. Like, it was, like, a key bonding moment in our friendship. This is obviously, like a pastime for so many people. The strange lingo of Wikipedia is like almost universally beloved amongst the freaks and geeks of the world. Annie, was there like a particular Wikipedia entry that first inspired you to get into this world? I feel like I read something about cow tipping. Yeah, the one I always say is my favorite is this photo from the cow tipping article and it's a cow and the caption is, a healthy cow lying on her side is not immobilized. She can rise whenever she chooses. <laughs> And I think especially at the time, which was quarantine, that felt very fitting. Like, I felt like a sleeping cow lying on my side, just sitting at home all day. But knowing you could rise whenever you choose. I could rise whenever I choose. It's empowering. It's beautiful. We are all that cow. So the combination of, like, a cow picture and inspirational message and extremely strange sentence construction is obviously spectacular, but what else do you kind of look for in a good, weird Wikipedia entry? Like, what makes a sublimely strange one? Well, I think there's kind of two categories. I like it when a really dumb topic is dressed up in fancy, like, academic language for an encyclopedia. One example is there's a Wikipedia entry about fart lighting. Um, and that's when you, it's when you, yeah, light your farts on fire. And it includes like the chemical as a formula for lighting methane on fire. Um, and the topic is so stupid. And so I think that's funny. And then I think the opposite is funny too. When you take like kind of a, you know, high up, like fancy topic, but then within the article, there's something about it that's, a little bit irreverent and a little bit funny. The article cross-polarization, which it's a chemistry concept. It's proton-enhanced nuclear induction spectroscopy. Yeah, I don't know what most of those words mean. Well, the abbreviation is P-E-N-I-S. <laughs> and that was intentional. Yeah, it actually was. Another one like that is there are these two mathematicians at Rutgers and they met as grad students at Princeton and their names are Zucker and Cox, C-O-X. And they were really good friends and they always said, we need to uh, work together and we need to make something because our names could potentially just have some incredible uh, jokes. 
And so they did. And as professors, they created this mathematical concept. I don't even know the details, but it's the Cox dash Zucker machine. <laughs> and you can just imagine how if someone's saying that really quickly, it might sound mm-hmm, a little funny. Mm-hmm. There is an ineffable chemistry between those two professors, and I'm so glad they brought it together. <laughs> it's good to know that like having a PhD in high math does not like prevent you from getting getting down with a day job. <laughs> yes. I'm really interested by this thing that you've touched on here, which is that there's such a specific cadence to the way stuff is written on Wikipedia, right? Like, you described it as academic, but it's also, I would say, so completely unsentimental. It's, like, completely affectless and, like, completely neutral, which I think just makes the posts themselves even more insane. Because it's like you're describing something that's so bizarre or, like, so funny, but completely deadpan about it. Do you think, like... Wikipedia's linguistics, if I can call it that, actually lends itself to creating these weird serendipitous moments. Yeah, oh, totally. And the other thing is, like, that's not an accident. Like, I cannot write a paper that keeps a consistent tone throughout, and that's just me. So it's pretty impressive to see an encyclopedia so large that, for the most part, has a pretty consistent, like, tone, neutral point of view, conventions. And that's really all because of this like big and growing like body of regulations and rules and all the crowdsourced people that make sure it's consistent, at least to a point. One example is with something I posted a few weeks ago, and this one really took off. Um, so you may have heard it. I'll, I'll start reading. This is a quote from Wikipedia. The article is bar jokes. One of the earliest examples of bar jokes is Sumerian from 4500 to 1900 BC, and it features a dog. A dog walked into a tavern, this is the joke, and said, I can't see a thing. I'll open this one. The humor of it is probably related to the Sumerian way of life and has been lost, but the words remain. (laughs) First of all, the joke's not funny at all. It doesn't mean anything. Something about that is charming. And all the comments are funny. People are like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. People are responding with these memes of people laughing and they're acting like it's the best joke they've heard in their life. It's giving no soap radio. Like, I feel like I'm just going to tell that joke and just get like a roaring audience of laughter and no one knows what it's about. Yeah, exactly. You're someone who does quite like a bit of work around editing on Wikipedia as well. Are the wiki community in on the joke when it comes to the weirdness of the platform? Definitely. (laughs) There's a pretty active discussion of like how much humor should an encyclopedia allow. There's a list of crustaceans. There are photos of many of them, but there are some entries that lack photos. And on those that lack photos, someone put in a tag and it said crustacean needed, which is a play on crustacean needed. And you would not believe how many gallons of ink were spilled in the talk page debating, is this inappropriate for an encyclopedia? Like, no, this is harmless fun. Like, let us, you know, this isn't going to confuse anyone. This is just a joke. And eventually, like, people decided this joke is fine to stay. But there are a lot of other examples of jokes that were put intentionally in Wikipedia that are very subtle and don't really harm the encyclopedia or inconvenience the reader. But they've been taken away just because this is an encyclopedia, not a joke book. And it's kind of a slippery slope (laughs) because once you allow one joke, are people really going to abuse that and turn the entire encyclopedia into just like a meme, which that's not the goal. So I think it's an active debate. And I think for the most part, it's good that uh, the humor is so subtle and that people do not just run around on Wikipedia letting jokes remain on the articles. 
like your glorious cow who can rise whenever she chooses, I've noticed that image captions tend to be a little bit more playful. That's actually something that is true quite often in journalism as well. We can have a bit more fun in the captions. Why is that with Wikipedia? And also, more broadly, why are there so many insane images on Wikipedia to begin with? I think people just upload tons of images to Wikimedia Commons, the photos arm of Wikimedia. And if you look into them, you can see pretty clearly like when they were uploaded and who uploaded them. And for a few really goofy ones, I've reached out and I've said like, okay, what in the world is the story of this image? (laughs) Um, On the article for Shrug, you see this guy, you should pull it up right now. It's just like, there's so clearly like a story behind this image, but the viewer wouldn't know it right away. You just see this guy with a, with, a, with a tiara. And the tiara, the tiara says scamper. And his, his, he's shrugging and he's holding what looks like a vodka soda or something. And he has a tie that's really loose. And it looks like he might be in a nightclub. And it's just great. Like, I was like, what is going on here? I love that so many of the images on Wikipedia are from this certain era of like super digital flash photography as well. 2005 era of photos. I'm also thinking about, of course, that iconic series of photos of the couple teaching people how to give a high five and then like down low. Yes. Um, and then them re- recreating that photo with their kids like uh-huh. like 10 or, 10 or 20 years later. <laughs> like it feels like this almost time capsule of just like really bad amateur photos with so much life behind them. Anyway, the the shrug guy, I ended up finding him and he told me that he had a band called Scamper and it had just placed third in the Boston's long-running annual Battle of the Bands. Oh my God. Known as the Rock and Roll Rumble. And they had a party and he had that Scamper sticker because that's his band's name. And they take the now famous shrug photo after he had just played his first post-rumble show at a bar. And that's the story. And now his single night uh, as a guy in his 20s is plastered on Wikipedia forever. And it's kind of famous. That's truly beautiful. Now, you actually um, crowdsource entries for Depths of Wikipedia as well as doing clearly, like, deep investigative work to find the shrug guy. (laughs) Can you tell me a bit about, like, the submissions process and the kind of people who contribute to your own crowdsourced project? Yeah, so I I get a lot of messages, and I always say this, but I feel like people on the internet are so overwhelmingly kind to me, and I'm so grateful because I hear stories about people getting hate or, you know, I, I don't know, getting, like, people with ridiculous demands, but... By and large, people are so sweet because my um, inbox is just filled with people saying, Annie, this is a really fun fact and I'm sure you would like it and maybe you should post it. And it's something just to look forward to every day. And it got to the point where I wasn't able to really like thoroughly sort through them all and give them the time of day. So now I have a form where people can submit it. It's a Google form and it's really fun. I think there's people from all different places in the world, all different areas of life. I don't know if there's just like a quote-unquote type of person that enjoys following me. Nuts. The stats are pretty interesting. It's mostly the 20 to 30 age range. And I think the gender distribution is like 66% male right now. Boys love facts. I'm really interested as well because you get such a high volume of contributions and tips how many do you just have to straight up reject? Like, do you feel that this responsibility to your followers to 
really present the best of the best and the nichest of the niche. And when people are sending in tips that just like aren't niche enough, you're like, sorry, no. Yeah, I do um, feel no remorse when I reject things. I think it's so sweet when people submit it and it's not personal at all, but a lot of things people submit are repeats because I've posted like a thousand at this point. Mm. And also a lot of things are, I think, kind of commonly known. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I feel like the Australian emu war is so goofy and so funny, but I feel like people already know that. That's kind of canon in the fun facts world. Mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. I, I say no to that one. <laughs> On the emu war note, like that one, too well known, not not obscure, not surprising and delightful enough for depths of Wikipedia, but we'd love it if you could share with us some like classic Australian Wikipedia weirdnesses. I've been waiting for this moment. Like, I need to hear this. Yeah, Australians love to hear Americans talk about Australia, so this is, like, really a gift that you can give us. Oh, good. Well, I have never been to Australia. I would love to someday. So please forgive if I make any false assumptions about your wonderful country. Oh, no, we're here for it. Well, I have one for you, which is Project Graham. This one really... A picture is really worth a thousand words here. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have a computer (laughs) handy, definitely if you're driving, don't do this. But look up Project Graham and you'll see this photo of this absolutely absurd looking guy. And it was commissioned by the Australian Transport Accident Commission. And it's supposed to be what would a human look like if the human species evolved to survive car crashes. It's very serious. I personally care a lot about automobile safety. So I wasn't laughing at all until I saw the image of the person that uh, (laughs) was created by an artist to look like a human that evolved to survive car crashes. And he looks crazy. His his face (laughs) is all forehead. It's ridiculous. I almost feel bad laughing. But no, it's it's just this artist rendition that is actually so funny. And his name is Graham. Project Graham is the he-they of the day. <laughs> yeah, literally the he-they of the day for sure. Oh, it's by Patricia Piccinini. She's like a very famous Australian contemporary artist. Oh, yeah. See, as an American, I had no idea about this. But I, I see your Project Graham and I raise you just just quickly Google image Sky Whale. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is by the same artist. It's a giant hot air balloon. Is this just there all the time? Have you have you seen this guy? I wish. Uh, no, they take it out for special occasions. I've seen it fly. It's from my hometown in Canberra. How is it a whale? Exactly. This is very <laughs> weird. <laughs> this is. I would post this. Um, there's also just wonderful, wholesome photos in the article for the quokka. It may be quokka. I don't actually know. Quokka. Quokka, yeah. Known for its selfies. And it's taken a number of selfies with celebrities, which <laughs> have not been released to the Creative Commons, so they're not on Wikipedia. Michael, I don't know why you're making a shocked face at the fact I that didn't Quokkas know, love I to take know selfies. This. I did not know this. Famously. I'm very not well-versed in the area of Australian fauna. This is like brand new information to me. I'm reading this Wikipedia entry now. Where on earth is the Sean Mendes Quokka selfie? Like, I'm Googling this right now. Tell Sean Mendes or his publicist to upload mm-hmm. the Quokka selfie to the Creative Commons because without his approval, it can't go on Wikipedia. So I think it's an iconic image, but it can't be on Wikipedia if it doesn't have the right release or copyright. I thought the Quokka was taking these selfies, but this is just an image of Sean Mendes taking a selfie with his own hands with a Quokka, which I feel like is somewhat like... But it loves taking selfies. How cute is that? 
That's so relatable. She's literally me. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I hope these are good because to me they're obscure, but you live here. I want to talk more about the community and the kind of like what you've built, I guess, because as you said, so many people are very wholesome, not only to you, but about this account on the internet. I think I, I've seen many people describe it as one of their favorite places on the internet. One quote that I really loved from the article that you got profiled in for the New York Times was an academic saying that Depths of Wikipedia is an account that makes the internet feel smaller. And I thought that was really curious because it does feel like the internet is exponentially increasing in both speed and size, but what you've built feels almost homely. It feels like safe and weird and comforting and like almost like a treasure trove. Do you feel like that's the like that's the experience as well? I mean, yeah, definitely. I look forward to reading the comments every time I post anything. And that's my favorite part, getting sweet messages, getting comments. And and another article that that I posted that made me laugh was the cat gap, which is a period in the fossil record from 25 to 18.5 million years ago. So that's six and a half million years where there were no or very few fossils of cats in North America. (laughs) And people were making jokes. Oh, they were all just hiding under the bed or... Have the archaeologists considered that maybe the cats found a little sunny spot near the window and took a nap for a while? They were sleeping. Let them sleep. Yeah, they were just sleeping. Is there something about the, I guess, the kind of wholesomeness of Wikipedia itself that is manifesting in your comments? Because it sometimes feels like Wikipedia is like the last wholesome and pure place left on the internet. Oh, yeah, definitely. Whenever I talk to people that work on Wikipedia... I'm always impressed by them. I think that they're some of the best people ever. They're smart. They are very giving of their time. And they have whatever it takes to think that, like, writing encyclopedia articles is what they do for fun. And I think it's really inspiring to see, especially in a time when there's so much vitriol online and fake news and attacks. And and then there's this corner of the internet where a bunch of volunteer anonymous editors have effectively managed to keep trolls and vandals away for humanity. And that inspires me still. It's definitely not perfect, but I still think it's one of the best online democracies that I see. Like all the time you're seeing people, some are 90 years old, some are 13, but you would never know. And they're debating, should we include this image or not? It's cool. I like it. You've also hosted um, workshops on actual Wikipedia editing. Can you tell us a bit about that and also like what it takes to be a good Wikipedia editor? It's definitely not super, super easy to pick up. I think that a lot of people these days on English Wikipedia in particular come and maybe try their best, but make a lot of mistakes and are like, this is too much. Like uh, I misformatted a citation and now someone's mad at me. I'm going to (laughs) quit. And that makes sense. But Once you get the ropes, it's like a super fulfilling and also very impactful hobby. And if you're just like, I want to do something, but I don't know what I want to do, you can click on the the left-hand side of Wikipedia. There's a column. And one of the things is learn to edit. And there's, it's just like, I'm clicking it right now. It says get started and you can learn all about like the values of Wikipedia and exactly how to add a link or how to add a citation and things like that. 
So donating to Wikipedia is great. I know a lot of people do that. I know that the banners are a little bit uh, in your face sometimes. So oh, the we Guardians, work for the Guardians. We, we, we <laughs> operate on the Wikipedia model. It's cool. The, the, the fact that both me and Alex said that. So I know everyone knows that you're supposed to give to Wikipedia, but that's definitely like good, but not the only way to help. And also right now, there's a pretty bad gender disparity in terms of editors. There's about 85% of the editors who are male identifying. Oh my God. I had no idea. Yeah, to get an encyclopedia that's representative of the world it's probably best to have editors that are represent more groups. And so especially if there's females or people that have expertise in certain underrepresented topics on Wikipedia, they especially should be encouraged to edit. There's something I've noticed about like Wikipedia pages of let's say like low-tier notables where I feel like either they or their mum has written the page. Is that something that you come across? Like, are there telltale signs that someone's written their own Wikipedia entry? Um, Literally all of the time. Sometimes it's very easy to catch when it sounds like a publicist wrote it, when it sounds like it's a resume, <laughs> um, when they list their entire CV and it's just this random, not very notable academic. Or if it's like a... <laughs> on Wikipedia, there's even a like humorous essay called No One Cares About Your Garage Band. Because there are so many people that have hobbies or bands or podcasts that they run out of their basement and they love them. It's fantastic. But if you have no news coverage, you can't have a Wikipedia article. Like Wikipedia is kind of this like de facto arbiter of importance. Like when I'm hearing about something and I see that it has a Wikipedia article that tells me, oh, this is like a legit thing. And so you, it's it's very important on Wikipedia that not everyone has a Wikipedia entry. I do actually consider it a sign of professional success if you have a Wikipedia page. I'm literally writing the page for Save for Later as we speak. Michael, stop it. I'll have to go in and delete it. One example of a garage band that was written about on Wikipedia that is just very clearly not written with Wikipedia's manual of style in mind is this Bringers of Darkness band. I'll read it for you. All caps. Bringers of Darkness are revitalizing audiences with their, wrong there, <laughs> legendary, raw energy live show and undeniable chemistry of bold brotherhood. They transcend a world that is locked in genre and commercialization, <laughs> semicolon. Though they know they can't do it alone, comma, they are the seeds of a, this is bold, Revolution. This is literally like every media release that we get now in our inboxes. <laughs> so anyway, uh, no one cares about your garage band. Even if you are revitalizing audiences with legendary raw energy live shows and undeniable chemistry of brotherhood. I'm also um, really curious, and I love the stories where you've made real-life friends and connections um, through doing this and, and through the account as well. I think it would be remiss um, to go this far without talking about a certain controversy turned friendship with one of me and Alex's favourite internet personalities, Carolyn Calloway. <laughs> um, I believe the story goes that she got upset because you posted a screenshot which listed her occupation as nothing. And there was some beef. Your followers quadrupled. It was very short-lived. Now you're on friendly terms. And I think I read somewhere that she gave you a cat. Yeah. So this was like <laughs> very early on when I had this account. For people that don't know, she's well-known as a scammer for um, not writing books that she prom promised to write and having these <laughs> creativity workshops that didn't really deliver. And at this point, there's all sorts of things and she's kind of made it into a brand. But yeah, so we became 
friendly after that. And when her assistant needed a room to live, I had an extra room. And so I offered it and he ended up moving in. And when that happened, she told me that she had two cats and she wanted to get rid of one. And I offered, well, she actually didn't offer. She was like, do you want to take this cat? And I was like, yeah, I guess, I guess so, sure. And so I did. And now I have this wonderful um, cat. But Caroline Calloway is not the only person that Depths of Wikipedia has brought into your life. I understand that you have a bit of a love story with Wikipedia too. Uh, yes, I did. I met my boyfriend from the the running this Instagram page. There's a chart in the article truffles, like truffles. The um, like when you have truffle fries, it's because there's truffle oil. The mushroom. Yeah, the mushroom. Not the chocolate. Right. <laughs> and there's a chart, and it compares truffle hogs. And truffle dogs. I don't remember the exact wording. <laughs> and I posted it, and he responded. He, he sent me a DM, and he said, I can be your truffle hog. <laughs> I, I thought it was so <laughs> stupid. But then we started talking, and I was like, oh, I kind of like him. And now we've been dating for a year. A true mon romance. What more can you ask for? Well, this wasn't even on Wikipedia. Like, there are some people that meet because of editing Wikipedia, there's all sorts of, like, debauchery that happens. Someone was telling me that, like, a decade ago, people on Wikipedia were using their, like, user pages or just some sorts of, like, behind-the-scene pages on Wikipedia that aren't actually encyclopedic content but that are hosted by the Wikimedia servers to play chess. <laughs> and so they had to ban chess because people were just playing chess on Wikipedia. Oh, I thought you were going to say that they were using it like Tinder. <laughs> That would have probably been better, but no. <laughs> Chess. Chess. It was so much more wholesome than I expected. <laughs> Annie, thank you so much for inducting us into the weird and wonderful world of Wikipedia. Me and Alex are off to go edit a page randomly. Yeah, I'm so excited for my first Wikipedia edit. You've inspired me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, go crazy on there. Edit, you know, those comma splices. Alex, it is time for Top of the List, where we recommend one thing that we have seen in our travails this week. What are you recommending to me? I have a food recommendation, which is confit duck in a can. A can of canard. Where did you find this this food? As I mentioned, I have been very social mm-hmm. this week and much of that socialising has been to do with a very close friend of mine coming home from Paris and she has brought me three kilos of cans of canard, (laughs) which I'm extremely excited about cooking because I first discovered the existence of this item in a very fancy French deli and it was $50 for a single can of confit duck. However, all you have to do is put the confit duck in a can in the oven for 15 minutes and you get all of the fat out of it and roast it in potatoes and it tastes as good as any confit duck from an Australian restaurant and it is the easiest, lowest effort, super fancy, super bougie meal that you will ever cook at home. So what you're saying is that we just have to have a friend who comes home from Paris to bring us this delicacy. (laughs) Yes, or pay 
sky high import fees for the same thing. Great, love it. Luckily, you can enjoy my top of the list this week for free. Uh, it is an album. Oh, look at you, man of the people. <laughs> I know. Um, it's an album by Camila Cabello. Shockingly, she's dropped a new album called Familiar, and it's actually like a really randomly extremely enjoyable listen except for that one song with Ed Sheeran um and there are songs about like Cuban independence there are just like really amazing reggaeton inspired pop tracks it's like she's really coming into her own finally um and she's the new Selena brackets go (laughs) best Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, you should probably subscribe to this show. It's really easy. You're already listening to it. Just hit follow on that podcast player. And you can scream back at us across the void by leaving us a review. This show is produced by Miles Herbert and Joe Coding, who also handcrafted the music. Our executive producers are Steph Harmon and Miles Martignoni. See you next week. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centred higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY. Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now, but I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee-pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? (sighs) Get Pet Essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply.